Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and founder of CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lynda.com. Lynda.com is the home of expert video tutorials. Because you're such a loyal listener of CLNS Radio, and it's 2015, you want to kick the new year off in style, claim your free trial today from CLNS by going to Lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash CLNS. Now on to your regularly scheduled program. of Patriots Beat here on the CLNS Radio Network. I am your host, Jeff Kane at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me as always, Bobby Kravitsky at Bobby underscore K91, also on Twitter. You can find the podcast at, at Patriots Beat and, of course, CLNS Radio at CLNS Radio. For you Facebook fans out there, www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans and the podcast, www facebook.com slash Patriots Beat. We are a couple days away from decision time for the New England Patriots and the rest of the teams around the NFL on who they will drop the franchise tag on. We'll talk a little bit about that today, whether it'll be uh, Devin McCourty who gets that, whether it'll be Stephen Gostowski. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, of course, Darrell Revis. What's going to happen with him? And what can the Patriots do if they should lose some of their free agents at running back with Stephen Ridley and Shane Vereen, guard with uh, Dan Connolly? Even if they lose Revis and or McCourty, what can they do inside this team and also uh, outside as far as free agents go and the NFL draft? We'll hit that and a bunch of other topics today on Patriots Beat. Bobby, how you doing today? I'm good, and like you said, we're creeping closer to – when all the action in the NFL starts to go down and we'll find out who is and isn't franchise tagged, who hits the market, who's finding a new home. And of course, we've got the NFL draft just a couple months away. So it's an exciting time as we're on the precipice of all this going down in the NFL offseason. It's crazy the way it happens. March 2nd is when the Patriots have to decide if they're going to use their franchise tag and I think you and I can obviously say that we're waiting for what happens with Darrell Revis. Jeff Howe from Boston Herald came out saying that he was their number one priority last week and that they're working on getting a long-term commitment done. I think he's got to be the first domino to fall. I-, I can't imagine you think any different. No, I'm in lockstep, as I believe the rest of Patriots Nation is, because what happens with Revis dictates how you approach everything else from McCourty to potential restructuring of players like Vince Wilfork. So he just impacts how the Patriots go about the rest of their offseason and pretty much every other move that they will or won't make 
So it starts with hammering out a long-term extension with Darrell Rivas. Now, how much do you think, now, with Darrell Rivas, do you think it's possible that the Patriots let him walk, even though they have that basically retainer, that $20 million bonus that will need to be paid uh, by midnight of, uh, of March 9th uh, in order to keep him on the team? It's a $25 million cap hit. If they do that, they're going to have to maneuver a lot around to uh, to see what happens uh, to keep this player. But how can you let a player like Darrell Rivas hit the open market? I think this is different than uh, when Randy Moss hit the open market after 2007. I think Rivas, if he hits the open market, someone's going to throw stupid money at him. Yeah, and there is no excuse for the Patriots not to come to terms on a long-term agreement with Darrell Rivas. I also want to point out, that it's more than likely that Darrell's agent is quietly going around and figuring out what exactly teams would offer him should he hit the open market, just so that he has something to compare what the Patriots are offering to what exactly Darrell could get in free agency. I think that Joel Corey of CBSSports.com hit the nail on the head with his contract proposal, and he is a former agent for those that aren't aware of his work. And he believes the Patriots and Revis are going to come to a five-year, $85 million agreement. But the most important part is the first three years of that contract, which will equate to $46.5 million on largely player-friendly guarantees. So that's how I see this thing shaping up between Revis and the Patriots. And Jeff, like you said, March 9th is really the deadline here because of his current contract. But with all the other business that the Patriots have to be able to take care of as quickly as possible. You don't want to wait until March 8th at midnight to get this thing done. You want to take care of this as quickly as you can if you're the Patriots. You did mention something right there that sparked some interest in me, how you think that Revis's agent might be out there quietly seeing what things could be out there for his client. If we remember back to the 2011 CBA, they installed the legal tampering period, the three days before free agency starts, where teams can kind of go out and talk parameters on contracts, show interest, in, and that sort of thing. How much do you think the Patriots and Darrell Rivas' representatives are sitting there and looking and saying, hmm, maybe we can see what is out there for Rivas and then we'll hammer out that long-term deal. I'm sure they've been talking about it, but how much do you think the legal tampering period could help or hurt Darrell Rivas? I think these things happen simultaneously, and what I've, what I've heard from people who are in the know, people who talk to people within Darrell Rivas' camp, the feeling seems to be that as long as the Patriots make Rivas the highest-paid corner, that he's willing to sacrifice even larger contracts as long as they fulfill that need. That seems to be the only requirement for Revis that he is the highest paid player at his position, which looking at last season, he certainly deserves to be. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more that he deserves to be the highest paid player at his position. I mean, he is 1-1-A as far as cornerbacks go. He transformed what the New England Patriots were able to do on defense. I thought the, the Patriots had a good thing going with uh, Aqib Tlaib until I saw Darrell Revis and basically what they were able to do. 
One thing that I want to point out there to Patriots Nation, because one of the misconceptions I've heard over the years is the Patriots are cheap, and they're not going to go out there and spend big money on free agents. Show me the money. But you go back and you look at some of these names that have come up. Tom Brady, Logan Mankins, Vince Wilfork, Adam Vinatieri, Adelius Thomas. All those players, when they were signed by the Patriots, were signed for above market value, and in some cases, the top player at their position. Logan Mankins was one of them. Tom Brady was the highest paid quarterback for some time. They even threw out uh, at Randy Moss a $9 million per year uh, contract extension or contract after the 2007 season, three years, uh, $27 million. Uh, Vince Wilfork was the highest paid nose tackle at his position. So the Patriots will go out and spend money. I think the biggest thing, Bobby, for Patriots Nations is they don't see them going out and throwing money at a guy like Mike Wallace from a couple of years ago, the speedy wide receiver from Pittsburgh who ended up in Miami and who now is on the trade block. You know, they don't go out and, and hit the big money on these big-time free agents. Sure, they spent some money on Adelius Thomas, but really that was one year, and then they were cutting him after the 2009 season because he just didn't conform. What are your thoughts on... The misconception, at least I think it is a misconception, on the Patriots and their spending habits. Yeah, and it, and it is. I'm with you on this one. We've talked about it in our message board a number of times where the Kraft and Belichick share an organizational philosophy that emphasizes the entire roster more so than it does the top third of the roster, those players that are more likely to get signed on the first and second day of free agency who fans are enamored with, which is understandable. Of course, you see a player like Indomitian Sue on the market. You see what's going to happen with Des Bryant. And, you know, those are the big-name players that capture everyone's attention. But to sign them, you are doing so while sacrificing the quality of the second and third tiers of your roster. And that's just not something the Patriots are willing to do. But like you said, they always max out in terms of spending. They use their cap space. So I really have no problems with how the Patriots approach things because, let's face it, in a league where players are injury-prone, you want to have quality depth in order to sustain that type of a blow. So even if you go out and throw $100 million at Ndamukong Sue or potentially more, he blows out his ACL, your team is, you know, down the river without done. a paddle. So. Done. D-U-N done. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, I can completely agree with you there. Another thing that's come out is how the Patriots need to spend to the 89th percentile for cap spending. I'm sorry, cash spending. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit with uh, Miguel from uh, PatsCap.com last uh, week about uh, Tom Brady and restructuring his money um, that basically allowed the Patriots to take $24 million out of escrow. And to spend to the cap, they're at 82% of the uh, cash cap, if I, I think I'm saying that correctly, the cash cap. Basically, they have to spend 89% or more. Had Tom Brady signed his contract extension back in 2013, a few days later, they'd be at 95% of their cash spendings. But instead, they're at 825 With Brady going back and taking the 
guarantees out and allowing the Patriots to have this $24 million, it's going to allow them to spend money on bonuses. And that will be a financial windfall for players out there like a Devin McCourty, like a Darrell Revis, players that are going to need bonuses up front. The Patriots are going to have to spend this money. And let me put this to you in a very simple way. Uh, if you have a player that's out there that gets a $2 million uh, for two years on his on his cap, right? And so basically his cap hit for two years at $2 million is $1 million a year. Well, throw on a million dollars of salary uh, bonus, okay? So you got a salary bonus of a million dollars. Well, with the current CBA, that is split over two years, okay? So it's $1.5 million one year, $1.5 million the next year. So in essence, you basically have a $1.5 million player um, against your cap and your cash spendings in the first year and in the second year. So the way that the Patriots have doled out their bonuses uh, over the years and, and made the bonuses um, over four or five years, uh, it's allowed the cash spending to be less. And I think that's why you're going to see uh, an extension for Darrell Revis where you'll get a lot of uh, upfront bonus money. What do you think there, Bobby? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's going to be attainable numbers. They had a lot of high standards put into some of the contracts that were signed last offseason. And I think partially to the surprise, although I would have to think to the pleasant surprise of the Crafts, their players hit them. Vince Wilfork reached his incentives. Julian Edelman largely hit his. So they had a lot of money to spend, even if you didn't necessarily see that, because players, as Jonathan Kraft said a number of times throughout the season, hit their bonuses, which they were not entirely expecting. But they got there, and they got paid for those things. So I expect with Darrell Revis, I don't think the standards to reach those bonuses will be quite as lofty. I think they're going to be more player-friendly, at least for the first three years of this deal. And you said player-friendly right there. And interesting, uh, Devin McCourty came out saying that the salary cap and the um, franchise tag is actually more player-friendly right now. We haven't seen that um, from many players. They, they Most of them hate the fact that they get franchised. They don't get out there and get the security. McCourty's kind of said that, you know, it's – uh, you know, a worst case scenario for him, but still, he would be with a team that he loves. He loves playing for New England. Uh, he's come out and said that. Uh, it's a nine and a half, roughly, million dollar cap hit uh, and salary um, if he signs the franchise tag. A and that basically gives him every bit of money that he's made in his first five years in the NFL in one season. So do you think McCourty is ticketed for this franchise tag on Monday? I do, but I'm also going to throw in, and I think we're on the same page here, that it's done with every intention of inking a long-term deal to keep him in New England beyond just this season playing for the franchise tag. Plus, while New England would certainly be okay with paying him, I believe it's $9 million this year, I think they would rather lower that cap number for this coming season, especially where they are a bit strapped for cap space. I agree with you there. They are a bit strapped for cap space. Of course, the cap space that they're in right now includes Darrell Revis's bonus, and we'll keep bringing up Darrell Revis because, well, we really want him signed. But Deb McCourty and Stephen Kostowski, to me, sound like the two that are most likely to be 
franchise, and I'm going to sit there and think that it's Devin McCourty that's going to be the franchise player ahead of time. I don't think they're going to hit him with the exclusive tender, uh, which basically means that he cannot negotiate with any other team. I think that they're going to go out and give that little bit lower of a tender, which allows it to be about $9 million. Um, and if someone else were to sign him, they get two first-round draft picks. Well, honestly, if you're giving me two first-round draft picks for Devin McCourty, I'm taking it day in and day out. And I love McCourty. Don't get me wrong. I don't have the man crush that Patrick Shankauer <laughs> Who does? Um, has on him. Uh, I don't think anyone does. But then again, Patrick thinks that uh, Tim Tebow is the greatest quarterback of all time. I love you, Patrick. But uh, let's let's take a look at that because they can sign him to the franchise tag and then work out the, the longer deal. So that's, that's a hope there. Let's move on to Steven Gostowski because he was drafted in the fourth round out of Memphis back in the 2006 season. And while he doesn't have the unbelievable kicks that an, uh, Adam Vinatieri had, because I mean, Vinatieri, let's face it, had some of the best kicks uh, in NFL history, he is one of the leading uh, kickers as far as percentage goes in the NFL. He's the all-time leading scorer for the New England Patriots. Can you even see this guy walking? And if he does, what do the Patriots do? Do they draft a kicker? Do they go out and sign a kicker? Because, listen, kickers are great, and, and you don't have to worry when Gostowski gets out there to drill a kick through the uprights. Yeah, and unlike Vinatieri, he also handles kickoffs, which is huge, and he largely does a terrific job with those, like booting them out of the end zone. So it would really put the Patriots in a significant hole if they lose Gostowski. I have no idea who's coming into the draft from the kicker position and who would be a viable replacement there. They certainly nailed it replacing Vinatieri with Goskowski. And yes, he has not had the same type of legendary kicks that Vinatieri's had that makes him such a hero around these parts. But at the same time, he hasn't had the opportunity to do so. Even in this past Super Bowl, there was never a big situation for him to kick in. So he hasn't had the chance to test his medal in pressure situations just yet, but in the regular season and even in the other rounds of the playoffs, he's really come through and been one of the best kickers in the league. And as you like to point out, Jeff, they've paid him as such. He was one of the highest paid kickers in the league last season. So I expect something similar to be the case once again and moving forward long-term for Goskowski. I agree with you there. I think I think, you know, he's at the top of his game. He's 31 years old, uh, or is going to be 31 years old. Uh, top of his game, uh, un, he's just an uncanny kicker. Uh, he, he, he's excellent. I mean, he really is an excellent kicker. And I never thought we'd see the day that we would uh, we would be comparing someone to Adam Vinatieri. But this guy is every bit as good as Adam Vinatieri was. 20 field goals made in the uh in the playoffs, so that's that's pretty darn good. Yeah, he has proven it, and who would have thought that we'd be comparing Vinatieri to his replacement, his immediate replacement, and already, so credit to Bill Belichick. He didn't bring in Vinatieri to New England, but he got his replacement right on the first try. He sure did. It isn't like uh, back in 93 when they uh, they signed Scott Misson Sisson, 
uh, and then uh, brought in Matt Barr halfway through that season. And, of course, Vinatieri replaces Matt Barr. The Patriots have been really lucky in the fact that since 1996, they've had two of the best kickers in the NFL. Uh, it's such a underutilized position, not underutilized, but underappreciated position, um, the kicker. I mean, it's to me, it's just... You know, the Adam Sandler song, uh, The Lonely Kicker. So screw the kicker. Who cares about the kicker? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I look at it and I say, hmm, it's pretty nice to have two kickers that are great. Let's move on a little bit to the debate about Shane Vereen. It's come out that in some circles that he wants to be paid like a – three down uh, running back uh, that he wants to get $5 million a year. He's come out and debunked it on NFL.com saying he, you know, does He just wants a fair market deal. Doesn't need $5 million. Has Shane Vereen played his last game for the New England Patriots? It's a really difficult question to answer. I think there are teams out there that especially seeing, we know it's a copycat league like most sports are. And seeing the success the Patriots had, especially in the Super Bowl against what was considered to be the NFL's best defense, considering the, the success the Patriots had with the short passing game and what a role Vereen played in that with his 11 catches, I think there are teams that are willing to throw $5 million a year at Shane Vereen and view him as a huge step, as well as bringing a championship pedigree to their franchise. Now, with that said... Mike Reese has proposed a fair contract for Vereen, four years, $16 million, including a $4 million signing bonus, where his cap figure the first two years of that deal would be $2.5 million and then $3.5 million. So I certainly think that if Vereen was willing to accept that offer, the Patriots would be willing to have him play for that. So I think that it comes down to is Vereen willing to leave some on the table for a deal like that? Or does someone throw so much money at him that he just can't say no? Let me give you a name right now because we've talked about it uh, off air. Reggie Bush, uh, four years the senior of Shane Vereen, actually uh, the exact same birthday. Um, Monday is both of their birthdays. Shane Vereen will be uh, 26 on March 2nd. Reggie Bush will be 30. Reggie Bush has a little bit of a trial history here with Patriots uh, coaches, uh, Dave Googe. I can't say his name, and you know I can't. <laughs> we'll stick with Googe. Uh, so, I like Googe. And Brian Dable. Uh, Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator in 2011 for the Miami Dolphins. And, of course, Googe was the offensive line coach there as well that year. It was um, Reggie Bush's first 1,000-yard season. Is he a fit? for the New England Patriots? Well, he's definitely a fit. He could step in and fill that Shane Green role. I also think he's a better ball carrier, you know, more of a, in that traditional running back sense than what Vereen brings to that element of the position. So he's certainly a fit. He also could be good in making sure that you're not throwing James White into the fire right away. You could presumably get Bush for a two-year deal and then – you know, you part ways with him, and James White's ready to step in. So it would make a lot of sense, and I don't know too many people who would be complaining about that. And at the same time, if you can keep Shane Vereen here, 
that's certainly best case scenario. You brought up the name that I was going to bring up, James White, because we've talked Shane Vereen. I think he's gone. I think he's played his last game in New England. And thank you very much for your 11 reception uh, game against the Seattle Seahawks. Shane Vereen, thank you for that uh, championship ring. You did your part. Uh, he definitely did. Reggie Bush uh, at 30, as well as I think he would do wonders here in New England. His better days behind him. I look at James White, and I look at his career arc. Uh, he was basically redshirted last year the same way that Shane Vereen was basically redshirted in his second, in his first year with New England. Only playing uh, five games, getting 15 carries for 57 yards uh, was Shane Vereen. Uh, this year... Uh, James White had nine carries, and, and, and Vereen didn't even get a catch his rookie year. Um, James White had five receptions for 23 yards, didn't play a lot. Vereen really didn't play till his third year, and last year was his first year where he was actually healthy the entire season. Um, his second year, he came on at the very end. Remember, three uh, touchdowns against the Houston uh, Texans in the playoffs. He really came along. I think James White really could be able to take over for Shane Vereen. And, and call me silly if you want. It's a, it's a young player. But we see, we see young running backs come out and do well. Uh, we, we saw it in Eddie Lacy, a very good uh, running back. Uh, Heron uh, from uh, Indianapolis, a very good young running back. Uh, Ladavian uh, Bell uh, in Pittsburgh, his second year, came out and exploded. Do I expect James White to be them? No. But I think he's the absolute perfect change of pace running back for the New England Patriots, and he did it in college, first with Monte Ball and then with Melvin Gordon. And Melvin Gordon is just a phenomenal player. Uh, player coming out of the college this year. Your thoughts on James White? Yeah, and you talk about some of those guys like LaDavia Bell. He doesn't have to be that type of player. You know, we saw firsthand what happened to Pittsburgh when Bell went down and their offense just completely sputtered in the playoffs against Baltimore. So it's really a role where he's not even asked to take that many carries. So I certainly think he could step in and be that extra receiver out of the backfield. I also look at it as you have to um, you have to factor in what's going to happen with Danny Amendola, who's currently your number three wide receiver, because if he's not back, the Patriots may look at a cheap way to fill the void is either you retain Shane Vereen or you bring in Reggie Bush or a player of that nature, and that way you can run some plays and some sets where that running back is split out wide, kind of like your third wide receiver, and you have James White coming out of the backfield, which I certainly think is something that could work and be effective, and it gets White that much more experience in that role. Danny Amendola, very good name there, because Amendola had a had a very decent uh, first year with New England last uh, in 2013. He played immense uh, in the first game of the season before tearing his groin, um, and then he wasn't great the rest of the year. But uh, here's the big thing with Danny Amendola. Very tough season this past year until the last few weeks of the season and into the Super Bowl. So it was Danny Amendola. It's interesting because he's counting almost $5 million against the cap this year 
they got to rework him because I don't think you can take your third receiver and really make him worth that kind of money. Julian Edelman came in and, and became the heir apparent to Wes Welker. That'll be interesting to see what they do with Danny Amendola. I'd like to keep him around, but two names to think about uh, as replacements for Amendola. And they're a little bit different. Both of them are a little bit different. The first one, Tim Wright. Yeah, I know what you're saying. We we got him in that uh, trade and, with Mankins, and you know he caught some touchdowns for the last eight weeks of the season. He didn't do much. Well, he is a proven player in the league. He caught 55 uh, passes for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had six touchdowns this past year. They got away from that uh, two tight end set and allowed Danny Amendola to make more plays. So, yeah, I think Tim Wright could be that type of player who could step up and make that next thing. He's a kind of hybrid between tight end and wide receiver. Of course, he was a wide receiver uh, at Rutgers. So that's one thing to be interested in. The other guy, and he really has been forgotten by New England, and that's Aaron Dobson. You know, and I'll sit there and I'll let the laughter go away. Because a lot of people, you know, think, oh, Dobson, you know, he's a bust. He's a bust. Another wide receiver who's a bust in New England. He had 37 receptions in his rookie year. He had a bad stress fracture in his foot. Basically, I think he caught three balls last year, did much of nothing, and then they put him on season-ending IR. So this is a kid who has been in the program. This will be his third year in the program. He'll have a full offseason where he is healthy to work out on this thing. I'm expecting, knock on wood, but expecting some big things from Aaron Dobson this year. Bobby, tell me I'm wrong. Well, let's start with Amendola, and then we'll get to Dobson. And another name that I think Patriots fans should keep an eye on. So starting with Amendola, the unfortunate thing is that you're right. It's way too high of a cap number to pay someone who's your number three wide receiver, Julian Edelman's insurance, and a kick returner. So then you look at it from a restructuring standpoint, and if you're Danny Amendola, why take a pay cut when you can get the same, maybe even more money on the open market? And even furthermore, you can become a number two wide receiver. You can be that starting slot receiver. So it makes all the sense in the world for both sides that that was Amendola's last season in New England. I think they are going to end up cutting him because if you're Amendola at 29 years old, you want to get another long-term contract. You want to get a chance to go start, especially given that you just got a Super Bowl ring and you're behind another slot receiver on the Patriots roster. So that's how I see things playing out with Amendola, which opens up quite a bit of cap money for New England. And then talking about Dobson, we've talked about him on the show before. He is really the forgotten man. I think last season was a wash. I felt that way before the year even started because of the fact that he didn't get much of an offseason due to putting off surgery for so long and that he was limited in how much he was able to progress from year one to year two. So everything comes down to how hard he's working and how hard he's going to continue to work this offseason, what he shows up to training camp as. He's certainly a different type of receiver than what Amendola brings, and you would lose that Julian Edelman insurance policy, but he can be very effective, especially when paired with Brandon LaFell. He brings another dynamic to the offense, and like you said, he had a lot of bright spots 
his rookie season, he torched the Pittsburgh Steelers and really looked like he was getting the hang of that back shoulder catch that the Patriots love to utilize. So it's just a question of how hard he works this offseason because even as a rookie, he came in and understood the system, which is huge. Now, Jeff, I'll give you another player to monitor in free agency, and that's Brian Hartline, a slot receiver who just got cut by the Miami Dolphins. He's a year younger than Amendola. It's coming off a season with 39 catches, 474 yards, only two touchdowns, but a 12.2 yards receiving average. So he's someone who I think certainly could step in and for cheap, which the Patriots like, fill that role behind Julian Edelman. Yeah, that's one thing about Hartline. I mean, he is a year removed from a thousand yard uh, season. uh, Hartline is, I mean, as you said, 39 catches, 474 yards last year. I look at Brian Hartline and I wonder about him because he's a he's he's a bigger player. I mean, he he isn't a small guy. If I remember correctly, six he's about six two. foot two. Correct. Exactly. Uh, he is a year younger. Uh, another one of those. You know, I, I liken him more to a Jordy Nelson than I do to a Danny Amendola. He's a guy that can line up on the outside. I, he lost out on, on receptions this past year because the uh, Javon Landry, the rookie uh, wide receiver for Miami, started to come on uh, heading down the stretch. So I look at a guy like Hartline who signed a – another guy who signed a, a contract extension with Miami who is no longer there. Could he fit in? Yeah, he could definitely fit in. I don't know if the Patriots are going to go the veteran wide receiver route. Uh, I mean, if we really look at it, veteran wide receivers that they've brought in in free agency, really the only one that did anything is really Brandon LaFell. I mean, I, I guess you could go with Dante Stallworth and Jabbar Gaffney. They'll, those both did some nice things. And, of course, Wes Welker was technically a free agent, um, even though he was a restricted free agent and ended up being a trade. It's very hard for veteran wide receivers to turn around and make a difference in New England. Uh, Brandon LaFell even said that, uh, you know, he was working double time overtime trying to uh, come up and, and and get the trust of Tom Brady. And it really wasn't until the loss against Kansas City where he actually got that trust of Tom Brady. And then uh, against Chicago, he exploded for 11 receptions. So be interested to see if the Patriots go the veteran wide receiver route Another guy at wide receiver for the Patriots, he's an exclusive right free agent, Brian Timms. For some reason, Patriots Nation is just in love with this guy. And I think it's because he caught deep balls from Jimmy Garoppolo in, in the postseason, in the preseason. And, you know, caught that one catch for 43 yards against Buffalo. That was a phenomenal catch, don't get me wrong. But this is a guy who has, you know, had five receptions last year, and he's looked upon as that great deep threat, that guy that they need to split the top of the defense, and this is the guy we got to bring back. And, and Tim's is looked at as an amazing player and, and someone that they want to keep. And then Dobson's looked on as someone, eh, he's a bust. Yeah, it really is funny. Tim's is someone who there was a period, there was a point in time where I was on that bandwagon between his story how hard he's worked to get here, the fact that he emulates Randy Moss and even got a chance to learn from him in San Francisco, and then, of course, the preseason and the catch against the Bills, which is a great catch. I said, okay, baby, we really do have something here. And then you saw him against Indianapolis, among other games, where he'd run the wrong route or he wouldn't, he wouldn't make the play, he'd drop it. So 
Tim's to me, I don't see him expanding his game into anything more than a Bethel Johnson who can't return punts. So he's really not someone I look at. You know, it'd be nice if he could be a more consistent deep threat, but that's all I really expect out of Brian Timms. A player who, you talk about Aaron Dobson being forgotten, what about his draft mate, Josh Boyce, who no one, I haven't heard a word about Josh Boyce this entire offseason, and if the Patriots do part ways with Amendola, you talk about a cheap replacement who is already there on the roster, maybe Josh Boyce steps up this offseason and carves out a niche for himself. Well, that would be a, a definite hope there. I mean, when they drafted Josh Boyce in the fourth round out of TCU, I looked at him and I actually came out and said, uh, on CLNS, I came out and said that I thought Josh Boyce would have a better rookie year than Aaron Dobson uh, and that Dobson would have the better career. Uh, you look at Boyce, he was uh, he was cut in favor of Tim's. He ended up on the practice squad. He signed a futures contract, so he's back this coming uh, year. He'll be back. He'll have a full year in the offseason program. This is an unpolished wide receiver. At TCU, he was phenomenal. He did some good things his rookie season, did absolutely nothing last year. Uh, these are guys that the Patriots are developing behind the scenes. I look at Boyce, and, uh, man, I, I hope he develops. But I'm uh, believe me, I'm not one of those guys that turns around and says, all right, we need to get that that big-time free agent wide receiver. I think they need to develop within. You have two very good wide receivers in Brandon LaFell, Julian Edelman, a, a guy who I wonder a little bit about if he'll be back at Danny Amendola, and then you have these guys behind them. It's also a deep rookie, um, a deep draft as far as wide receivers go. Maybe the Patriots go and, and get a wide receiver. And, and they have some picks in, in later rounds where they can do that. That fourth-round pick that they got from uh, – the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is the first pick in the fourth round. A great spot to take a take a flyer on a uh, on a wide receiver who who's dropped down in your draft a little bit there. But before we move on to some other players, I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Peak Brewing. Uh, www.peakbrewing.com. I had their Nut Brown Ale the other night. It is phenomenal. What goes better with football than some beer? Mm, beer. Peak Brewing at Peak Brewing on. The uh, the old Twitter, I highly recommend it. They got some other ones out there that look pretty good as well. They got a ginger beer. Um, as I said, I tried the nut brown. Uh, I'm very excited. The IPA. I'm never a big fan of IPA, but I'll give it a shot. And, and then of course they have a summer, but it was you know it's it's zero degrees up here uh, in New England. It's not time for summer yet. No, unfortunately not. We're finally knock on wood coming out of these brutal snowstorms. Can't tell you how sick I am of shoveling but not quite summer weather just yet. Not quite. All right, so that brings me on to the defensive side of the ball. We talked last week uh, to Miguel from patscap.com, and a name that we brought up, Vince Wilfork. You and I have had debates off of this show. We've had debates on this show. I think Vince Wilfork is a cap casualty, $7.5 million against his cap this year. Let's get into this debate because it's going to be a heated one. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I I just look at the situation, and I understand the cap figure is too high right now. Certainly no argument there. Where I look at moving on from that standpoint is if you rock the boat a little too, bit too much, or even if you release him, you might be in some trouble. Who knows what's going to happen with the draft? And if that is the plan to replace him, then 
why not have at least a season of letting that player learn under Vince Wilfork? I like the idea of Vince Wilfork's not only a leader in the locker room, but a positional leader. I like the idea of having leaders at all three levels of the defense. So to go with a defensive line that I guess the person who fills that leadership role is Ninkovich, that to me, that's not really his role. So I, I just think you're asking, you're putting yourself in a lot of trouble when you could easily solve this issue by taking his roster bonus, which is spread out over the next two years at four and a half million this year and only 500,000 of it next year and just split that evenly, save yourself about two million in cap space and call it a day. I can't agree with you there on how you want to split the thing. I just don't know. I mean, granted, the Patriots' rush defense was 10 times better this past year than it was in 2013 after Vince Wilfork got hurt. Uh, the Patriots were 30th against the run uh, in the 2013 season, giving up 2,145 yards at a four and a half yard per clip. Uh, that is horrible. This year, a lot better. Ninth in the league, only giving up 1,669 rushing yards, 4.0 yards per carry, only six touchdowns on the ground, and, and you know, I mean, Pete Carroll didn't want to run against that defense. So <laughs> thank God he did. Uh, I know, but I look at it and and I love Vince Wilfork. I just love him to death. I think he's just too much of a prideful man to turn around and and, and take that uh, that restructured contract. He hasn't done it in the past. He's held out in the past. He's wanted to be one of the highest paid um, uh, defensive players. He asked to be cut last year before they they signed him to the restructured deal with a with a, a three year pact. I can't look at a guy who's going to be 33 years old and he played well. Don't get me wrong, he played well. He came back and played better than I ever thought he would uh, after that Achilles injury. I just look at him and the salary does not equal the performance. It, it just doesn't. And I and I love Will Fork. I I would love nothing more than for them to restructure, but I I don't see it happening. Um, and and it makes you wonder. Dur, uh, Darnell Dockett was released uh, the other day, uh, similar type player uh, to uh, Vince Will Fork. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Haloti Nada. There's nothing that I want more than for Vince Will Fork to uh, you know hang up his uh, hang up his cleats as a New England Patriot. But if they can't work out a deal and you have a $7.5 million cap hit and they can't work out a deal, I'm looking at them saying, all right, I have Devin McCourty. I have Darrell Rivas. I have Steven Gostowski. I got all these players that I need to resign. I have other uh, players out there that I could use. I could cut him, save that money, and put that money towards Rivas, towards McCourty, towards Gostowski, and even towards Verena in a way. I love Vince Wilfork. I just don't see him playing under the $7.5 million cap. Well, see, talking about some of the free agents, Dockett is 33 years old and missed all of last season, so you don't know what he's, exactly. he's going to look like coming back from injury. And then you look at Nata. I'm not sure what his cap figure is going to be, but odds are it's in the same range as Wilfork. So to ask Wilfork not even to take a pay cut – just to say, rather than getting four and a half million of that roster bonus this year, take two and a half million this season, two and a half million next year, 
I think to me, there's no reason for Wilfork to say no to that. So that that's how I see things playing out. But believe me, I understand it's a high cap number. It certainly would make a lot of sense to create more financial flexibility by parting ways with Wilfork, who he's getting closer and closer toward the towards the end. This may even be his last season, but I just think that it's going to put the Patriots in a worse position than people realize to part ways with Will Fork. Dominic Easley, first round draft pick out of uh, out of Florida last year. Of course, he ended up on uh, IR, uh, coming back from two separate ACL injuries. He had a rough rookie year, didn't make a ton of plays. Do you think he can be that interior pass rush specialist that the uh, Patriots need? You know, it's interesting because he didn't show that ability last year, and that's what he was – that's the hype around him is his ability to be that interior pass rusher, and that's why people say that, well, if he wasn't hurt, he was a top-five talent in that draft class. So he didn't show that. Who knows how much of that is because of the injuries – but, Jeff, what really gets me excited is think about how many players the Patriots selected last year that are long-term picks that aren't about the immediate return, from Easley to Garoppolo to James White to Zach Moore. There's a long list of players who were brought in last year at the drafts, including even, let's say, Malcolm Butler, the Super Bowl hero, undrafted guy who's just starting to develop his game who really could have a significant impact on the Patriots roster long-term. It's certainly exciting to know that you have young players with high upside who could be taking over on this roster down the line. Exactly. I mean, you hit there right there, uh, Zach Moore, uh, the young kid out of Concordia. I mean, he had, he had three tackles uh, on the season, uh, a fumble, a forced fumble. You know, he, he played – pretty well in, the, in his chances in there. I mean, the stat sheets don't show it. But, yeah, these are guys that are that are pushed forward. Malcolm Butler. Um, I mean, everyone looks at that play that he made at the end of the Super Bowl, which I believe was the best play, defensive play, in Super Bowl history. It clinched a Super Bowl. I mean, you can go out and, and look at other plays out there in Super Bowl history, but that, to me, was the quintessential play that 25 years from now, when my grandkids are sitting there learning about football, they'll look back and see that play uh, just as we look back and see plays like, um, uh, for me, it would be the Ice Bowl. You see Bart Starr, uh, you know, running the ball in, in against the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I mean, pl- iconic plays like that. Uh, this one hurts, but Desmond Howard's uh, return for a, a kickoff for a touchdown against the Patriots in Super Bowl 31. Iconic plays like that. I think that Malcolm Butler's play in the Super Bowl is iconic. Can he build on that? Everyone talks about, oh, you know, it's a one-hit wonder. He played extremely well against Javon Curse in that second half. In fact, that amazing play that Curse had on that catch, he was in perfect position. Uh, and this is a guy that played every single snap, not every single snap, but every single game uh, in the preseason last year, started opposite uh, Darrell Revis. Just a, a phenomenal story here. I think Malcolm Butler's got a chance to be a very good cornerback, and it's not just because of that one play. Yeah, and Jeff, 
I too was a huge fan of the freak Javon curse. This was actually Jermaine curse. Thank, thank <laughs> you, thank you, sir. Thank you. But uh, yeah, again, the Seahawks wide receivers just not getting any respect from anywhere. Certainly not here in New England. Yeah, Butler on that play, he made two great and great plays, and one obviously was more crucial than the other. First, he did get a hand on the ball. It looked like it was just going to be another knockdown pass from Butler, who came in and was on fire in that game. And then, of course, the awareness to get up and get and push him out of bounds as opposed to just letting him run in the end zone. So Malcolm Butler, even going back to that game against the Denver Broncos, he was very effective against Emmanuel Sanders and showed his speed. Even against the Bears, he got in once the game was getting closer towards the end. You know, it had been a blowout pretty much from the start, but when it was getting closer towards the end is when Butler got in, and he was making some really impressive plays, showing his closing burst as it looked like the guy he was covering was open and he'd be able to get there and knock it down. So Butler did more than just pick off one play. Granted, it's arguably, I'm just going to leave it at arguably, the biggest play in Super Bowl history. But he did more than just make one fluky play. So for me, with his speed and his ability to close in and you know shut windows down, I think that he really can be more than just a one-hit wonder. And certainly that's the hope going forward, unless you're Alfonso Dennard, who might be on his way out because of him. Let me ask you this right now. You've got a guy in his uh, – a guy that we've talked about, Darrell Revis, and his um, signing bonus uh, – not signing bonus, I'm sorry, his, his contract option uh, for the 2015 season – there's another guy, uh, Brandon Browner. He has a decision that needs to be made. You brought up a name of, of Alfonso Dennard, who did a fine job his first two years in the season. We've brought up Malcolm Butler. Uh, Logan Ryan's made some plays for the New England Patriots. Could we see Brandon Browner being cut instead of getting paid his bonus? It's one of those that it's, it's a really tough question to be able to even predict. When I go through my evaluations of the Patriots financially and how they may approach their free agents and what they want to leave over for the draft and undrafted free agents and even free agency, I don't see a need, a pressing need to cut Brandon Browner this offseason. Doesn't mean that it wouldn't help and that it won't happen. Just that I think it's, I think they could be okay moving forward with Browner as is and not touching that contract. But the fact that you can save five and a half million with zero dead money against the cap, you know, that's always going to be tempting if you're the Patriots. I can see it happening. I loved, uh, I thought he brought some good things to the, the team this year. He, his play uh, on Malcolm Butler's play allowed that, uh, allowed that interception to happen. But I think you can save some money there, and it's all about finding out what you're going on here, what's what's going on, how comfortable you are with these players. Listen, we're not in Nick Casero's head, we're not in Bill Belichick's head, but if you can save five and a half million with no dead cap money, uh, you know, on on a guy who in nine games led your team in uh, in penalties, I mean, sure, he sets a physical tone, but do you need it? See, and 
maybe need is a bit of an extreme, but the combination of him and Revis was what made the Patriots secondary so effective. Largely that's Revis, yes. But when you play a team who has wide receivers like the Bears and you're able to match up Browner on the other side of Revis, or you can put Browner against tight ends, and not to mention, like you said, that physical tone that he sets, he's kind of this team's Rodney Harrison. So the penalties, the fact that there's no cap penalty, of course, you know, those are things to look at. But I focus more on the fact of what comes next. If you're to release Brandon Browner, what are you replacing with him? Is it as simple as internally looking to the development of Butler and Logan Ryan? Is it you're looking at a cornerback in the draft, which is kind of a shallow class, to be honest. And then, of course, if you're going to go the free agent route, I can't see a viable replacement who's going to be significantly cheaper than what you have Browner at, especially with no dead money this year or next. This is a special CLS Radio Patriots Beat addition to the latest podcast. Well, word on the street today, Monday, March 2nd, is that the New England Patriots have franchise tags. Stephen Gostowski, the Pro Bowl kicker drafted in the fourth round in 2006 by the New England Patriots. That leaves a lot of speculation out there. Now, Deb McCourty, who we thought earlier in this program uh, could get the tag, obviously is not getting the tag. And there's been reports out there that it, Adam Schef- from Adam Schefter from ESPN that if Darrell Rivas' option is not picked up, he could test free agency. Well, I think we all realized that Rivas could test free agency if his option wasn't picked up. Bobby, your thoughts to begin with on the tag of Steven Gostowski? Well, I was certainly a bit surprised because I thought it was going to be given to McCordy. That said, I still would be even more surprised if Goskowski plays under the tag because it would pay him just north of $4.5 million. So I can't see the Patriots being okay with a cap number that large for a kicker, no matter how good he is. And we're going to have to see if the Patriots can take care of business with Revis and or McCourty before free agency begins. Exactly. In the words of Roosevelt Colvin, Everyone, just calm down. Just calm down, okay? Free agency is still a week away, all right? There's still a week for this stuff to be happening. People are lining up on the Tobin Bridge to jump off because, oh, my oh my word, Darrell Revis might test free agency. Deb McCourty might test free agency. Looking at this now in the short amount of time that we've had to digest the fact that Steven Gostowski has gotten the cap at $4.4 million, I believe it is, according to uh, PassCap.com. You're saving some money here in not giving McCourty $9.4 million. Sure, you're opening him up to going to free agency, but the all-important date starts on the 7th, this coming Saturday, where the Patriots and the rest of the NFL has the legal tampering period. Both Devin McCourty's agent and Darrell Reeves' agent then can go out and kind of look at, at, at what's going out there. And actually, Reeves' agent can't. So let's first start on Devin McCourty. His agent can go out and do the legal temple period. 
Shalice Manzi Young has said that they haven't had any talks lately. But he can go out and find out what kind of money his client is going to be looking for in um, in free agency. Go back to the Patriots in those three days, and they can cut out a deal. I'm sure there are parameters that McCourty wants one side and the Patriots want another, and there's probably a happy medium, but they need to find out what the league is willing to bear. Yeah. So I'm looking at that, Pat, uh, at, I was almost said Patrick because we're talking about Devin McCourty. So I'm looking at that, Bobby. And I'm not a scared. I'm not that scared. Well, Jeff, I just got back from getting Patrick down off the Tobin Bridge. And as far as McCourty goes, it was a little unsettling to hear Shalice Manzi-Young say that the two sides have not talked recently because you figure, even though Revis is priority number one, that the Patriots are juggling multiple balls right now and that he would be one of them. And... Perhaps there is an agreement in place to let him go test the market and report back with what teams are willing to offer. They have a long list of players that they've let do so in the past and brought back. So we're going to have to see how this plays out with McCourty. The problem that I have with that strategy is that it opens yourself up to have to overpay to retain these guys. And I don't mean that in the sense of overpay their value. I mean overpay based on what you would like to sign these guys to in order to match what other teams are offering them. Because let's face it, the Patriots are restricted this season when it comes to cap space. So to open yourselves up and put yourself in such a vulnerable position does not seem like a wise move. doesn't seem like a wise move, but then again, us armchair GMs don't know what... Nick Casario and Bill Belichick, no. Now, the cap was set today at $143 million and some change. Um, the Patriots, at the moment, um, are $7.9 million over the cap, and that is if they pick up Darrell Revis's $20 million option, uh, that puts them at $7.9 million over the cap. So if they don't pick up that option, they've got roughly, you know, for simple math, $12 million. Here's the thing that we got to talk about when it comes to um, Darrell Rivas. He is not an unrestricted free agent right now. So that legal tampering period that starts um, come this Saturday, his agent cannot, cannot negotiate with anyone until the Patriots decline that option and they have till midnight on March 9th heading into March 10th to to pick up that option. So Darrell Reeves' agents do not have those three tampering days that the other free agents have out there. That is very important for everyone to realize. They can up until the 4 p.m. March 10th deadline can do a contract extension with him, with Darrell Reeves'. So he cannot, his agent cannot go out there and talk to anyone. Uh, I, I, I found that out earlier today as, uh, you know, we kind of talked uh, earlier in the program about um, Revis's agents being able to go in that legal tampering period. But because he is not an unrestricted free agent, the legal tampering period is not there. So anyone thinking that the minute free agency hits, Darrell Revis is going to have a, uh, his agent's going to have a contract done on Sunday and ready to sign it at, 2 p- at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, it cannot happen unless the Patriots 
go and and deny that contract, deny the uh, picking up the option before their deadline, which I can't imagine them doing. Yeah, that makes no sense. And part of me is right there with you, Jeff, that this is an important factor in the negotiations with Revis. But there's also that other part of me that says tampering is rampant in the NFL. And even though there's a legal window, and even though Revis's agents cannot operate within that frame because of his contract, who, who's to say they're not going out engaging market value anyways and that they're not on the low figuring out what teams would be willing to offer and how much they would pay Revis should he hit the open market. Oh, you're right there, Bobby. And I mean, you'd be a fool not to think that Revis's agents, I, I don't have their list of who else they represent, but I'm sure they represent other free agents out there. If they uh, were to be out there and, and, and talking about player X, that all of a sudden, you know, Revis's name doesn't come out and said, well, it's going to cost, you know, five years and, you know, 60 million with 25 million guaranteed to sign him. It can happen. I'm just saying it's not supposed to. But we all know that tampering is rampant. And that is actually probably the reason why uh, the NFL came out with the legal uh, tampering pe- period here. Nine and a half million dollars. That's what the Patriots did not do today in not throwing the franchise tag on Dev McCourty. Plain and simple, Bobby, is Dev McCourty a $9.5 million safety? No. Now, that said, you can you can always have franchised him and then worked out a long-term extension, which there was certainly a large contingency of fans and media members who thought that was how this scenario was going to unfold with McCourty. But plain and simple to answer your question, he's not worth $9 million, And I also don't think Goskowski is worth the franchise number for kickers. So I think that's what's going to end up happening with him. And they'll restructure his contract and work out an extension. I just simply would have been more comfortable letting Goskowski hit the open market than I would McCourty. But as you've preached, who knows if that's going to happen with McCourty either, because we're still a long ways away from March 10th. Exactly. I mean, we still have basically uh, we're recording this on Monday, March 2nd. So we still have another seven full days before free agency hits. Lots of things can happen. This is a very fluid situation. Um, remember back to last year where everyone in New England, when Akib Tlaib signed with Denver, was ready to jump off the Tobin Bridge, was ready to hang themselves from the uh, tower of the Gillette uh, light tower. And 24 hours later, we were jumping around up and down in joy because Darrell Revis was part of the New England Patriots. Listen, it's March. No team wins a Super Bowl in March. Those are done in February. So uh, one month ago yesterday, the Patriots won their Super Bowl. In one month, this team is going to look completely different than it did one month ago. It's just a nature of the business. So, while you want to keep your, your key players like a McCourty, like a Revis, sometimes you can't. In not giving $9 million to Deb McCourty, they've basically now taken and given themselves all these options. They're not tying up that $9 million in Deb McCourty. As we said earlier in the program, there's still things to be looked at on Vince Wilfork. There's still stuff to be looked on on Brandon Browner. Uh, Gerard Mayo, 
Danny Amendola, all these players now have another week to tweak their contracts just right so the Patriots can get sap, uh, salary cap compliant and then also be able to sign and or re-sign their players and free agents out there. It's going to be very interesting moving forward for the New England Patriots. Yeah, Jeff, as we've discussed, someone has to go. Whether that's Amendola, Mayo, Wilfork, someone is not going to be brought back. So adding $9 million on top of this situation where it's already pretty congested only makes it that much more difficult for the Patriots to be able to maneuver. And that's why it does make sense that McCourty was not tagged. Well, we will definitely have a lot more to talk about as this week goes on. We'll be coming back to you Friday with more live reports, more reports on what is happening uh, this week and next week heading into March 10th when free agency opens. Look for plenty of Patriots beat content out there. We'll be talking to you guys, but this has been a special report for the Patriots Beat Podcast. Do you love the NFL Draft? Get ready with the CLS Radio Mock Draft. Patriots Beat writers Sam Pericolo, Patrick Schenkauer, and Billy Wyatt are bringing you their mock draft. Their first mock draft was this past Wednesday. They will update it as the NFL Draft moves closer. Check that out. It's a great thing. The three of them take different teams and go out and make the draft pick. So it'll be very interesting to see what these three minds decide as this draft gets closer. This is Pop Sosi, your play-by-play broadcaster for the New England Patriots, and you're listening to Patriots Speed. Bobby, as we get ready to close down this show, of course, free agency will start on uh, March 10th. One of the things that we got to look at is who the Patriots might bring in. Uh, and, and, you know, there's been players out there, ESPN Boston's done a great job, WEI's done a great job of free agent fits. I'm going to put this out here to you, regardless of money, who would you like to see, out of all the free agents that are out there, who would you like to see the Patriots bring in? Ooh, that That is an intriguing question. I think that every armchair GM just got a half chub at that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go – I'm going to look at two players. The first is actually someone who potentially could be switching teams, and that's Indomitian too. I expect him back with the Lions. But you talk about someone who is a monster against the run. He's great at collapsing the pocket. Indomitian Sue is a beast, and if you put him in the middle of that Patriots defense, I'd be salivating. The next is Jimmy Graham because – you can't help but get nervous about the health of Rob Gronkowski. And if he goes down, it changes so many things for the Patriots. They don't really have an insurance policy for him currently. They're probably not going to have one going into next season. It's just hoping that, once again, he can make it through the entire season. So I look at Jimmy Graham. That's not just an insurance policy. That is an unstoppable combination. Gee, could you imagine that? I mean, it's not going to happen, but... Could you imagine that? That would be unbelievable. Who you got, Jeff? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you threw out the two players there. I was just looking at one player, but I'll I'll throw out the you know the two player thing as well. Um, I look at a guy and, and he excites me. The guy really excites me, and that's uh, Demarco Murray. 
I would love to have DeMarco Murray. I should have known you were Patri- going running back. Well, exactly. And, and I would love to have DeMarco Murray in a New England Patriots uniform. Uh, it's a guy who I really wanted out of uh, Oklahoma uh, when he w- was coming out of the, of the draft. Of course, the Patriots ended up selecting Shane Vereen um, and Stephen Ridley in the same draft. Um, so I would love DeMarco Murray to be there. Now, I don't think DeMarco Murray has a chance of ever coming to the Patriots. The money's going to be way too much. Uh, there's been reports out of uh, Dallas, or I, actually it was a fake report, but that they might franchise him and let Des Bryant hit the hit the streets, especially with uh, you know what may or may not have happened with Des Bryant. Um, for more on that, check out ESPN uh, Dallas. They'll tell you everything that's happening on the Dallas Cowboys. But this is a Patriots show, so the guy I look at is none other than Mark Ingram, the running back from the New Orleans Saints. Almost a thousand yards this year. The first year he's really been counted on to be a running back for that team. Uh, they traded uh, Sproles in the off season uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. He's coming up on his uh, on his first free agent tour. Of course, the New Orleans Saints got Mark Ingram by trading a first round pick and a second round pick to the New England Patriots to get back into the first round in the 2011 draft, if I remember uh, my numbers correctly. I believe it was 2011 draft. The Patriots used Shane Vereen uh, with that second-round pick, then turned around the following year and used New Orleans' pick to trade up to get Chandler Jones. How much of beautiful symmetry would it be if they brought in Mark Ingram after he became a free agent to be the running back here, the bell cow, the guy, guy who can carry it, 250 times a season, get you 100 yards a game, and he still can catch the ball out of the backfield, 29 receptions last year. You talk about winning a trade. You get all the big pieces involved in it. That's a pretty lopsided deal is what it becomes. And Ingram, obviously they've got two guys who are not necessarily exactly his style, but fill that role in Blount and Jonas Gray. If they got Mark Ingram, hit the unemployment line, those two. Uh, that would be an exciting addition and a great fit in this offense. There's my full-on chub. (laughs) (laughs) Patriots Beat has been brought to you by the good folks over at lynda.com. Go out and challenge yourself today, www.lynda.com slash CLNS for your free 10-day trial. lynda.com is a phenomenal website that has plenty of videos, instructional and all sorts of other things that you can learn new things in 2015. Everything is taught by professional instructors, anything from uh, photography to Windows uh, to 8 to Audacity, anything you want to go out and learn, go to lynda.com today. Get out and challenge yourself. I've challenged myself. I'm learning more. It didn't take much for me to learn more because I'm a dumbass. But, hey, thank you to lynda.com for being one of our great sponsors and uh, we'll move forward from there. We'll be back next week as we continue moving towards the arc of the NFL offseason. We'll be a few short days away from free agency kicking off. I think we'll have a lot of big things in the works there. Bobby, any final thoughts? Just looking forward to getting the NFL offseason rolling between Revis and the franchise tag and the NFL draft. It's going to be exciting to see what comes about. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the Patriots beat today. I've been your host, Jeff Kane for Bobby Kravitsky 
and the rest of the cast at Patriots Beat on CLNS Radio. Thank you so much for joining us uh, each and every week, and we appreciate it. Our listeners continue to grow, but we also need your help. Uh, and it'll only take you a few short minutes, if you don't mind. CLNSRadio.com slash audience survey. Give us your feedback on what you think of Patriots Beat. It'll only help us get better. We appreciate it, and thanks to everyone out there. I'd also like to thank uh, Rod from Pat's Gazette, who always does a great job in pushing out all the original content on CLNSRadio.com. Until next week, everyone, thank you so much for listening to Patriots Beat. Be out Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.